Let's pray and then we'll jump right in. If you have a Bible with you, um, go to Luke chapter 9. We're actually going to be staying there for the whole sermon. Luke chapter 9. Uh, but let's just start off with a quick prayer. God, again, thank you so much for bringing us here together, Lord. I just pray that in these next few moments that we can truly hear your voice, that you can impress your will upon us, Lord, so that we can know what our purpose is. Thank you so much for everything. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Finding your purpose is, is so important. As a pastor, you, you travel around different churches, and once in a while I ask, or I used to anyways, I don't really do it anymore. I used to ask, how many people here are going to heaven? How many people here really think are going to go to heaven? Um, and I was always a little bit shocked because very few people would raise their hands. Very few people would raise their hands because they weren't sure. You know, they were Christians and they believed in Jesus and they believed in, in the, the resurrection and the gift. Um, but they would always come back down and basically say, but I'm not sure. And it all came down to the idea of purpose. Am I really doing what God wants me to do? The reason that there's going to be two parts to this, we're going to do it today and then hopefully you guys can come at 3.30, is um, we're actually going to focus on two different chapters. In this one, unfortunately... Uh, we're actually going to learn what not to do. This is kind of learning by mistakes. Uh, and if you want to learn by the mistakes, you go to the source, which is the disciples. They were great at doing the wrong thing. Um, the 12 disciples, uh, though it makes sense, right? Because when Jesus chose the 12, did he choose the best? No, he chose the worst. He literally, he looked around and he said, Who, who's the worst person I can find in Israel? And he kind of chose these 12 men. Um, and and we can learn through their mistakes. And that's what we're going to be doing here in chapter 9. Uh, in the afternoon, we're actually going to be reading chapter 10, which is learning through the right things. Um, today, the focus is going to be more on the internal. What's our purpose kind of from the inside, the reason we do everything? Uh, and then in the, after, in the afternoon, we're going to learn about, again, how to do it properly but also um, the responsibility that comes with that and the glory and the blessings that come from that. So if you're at Luke chapter 9, we're going to try to read it all. It's, it's kind of long. It's 60 verses, 62 verses or so. Um, so I'm going to read it, but I'm going to try to stay within today's time frame. Just before we read it, um, one thing we have to rem remember here, when we, when we look at the Gospels, all right, these aren't historical books. When you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they didn't write the Gospels to say, this is what historically happened for a year or six months or whatever. When they wrote the Gospels, what they were doing is they, they met this man that changed their lives. All right? Uh, they, they met this man and lived with him and learned from him and, and even saw him after death. Um, and at some point in their life, they said, I have to write this down. I have to write my experience with Jesus, uh, which is why the four Gospels are different, all right? Because it's literally one man's time with Jesus. More than that, um, the Gospels are actually written more like a sermon. So they're taking his life and not only just saying what he did, but trying to express what he actually meant with what he did and said and performed, all right? Luke is an interesting one. Luke actually came afterwards. We know, um, you know, he, he wasn't with Jesus during, during uh, his life, um, but he researched Jesus. He's probably the most scholarly of the four Gospels. He researched it. He asked various people, um, but because we believe anyways, Luke was a physician, he does it in a very educational way. So when he writes his story of Jesus, um, it's very much written like a teacher telling the story, all right? A professor or a doctor telling the story. 
Um, and so even as, when you look at chapter 9, I'm sure you've all heard sermons about it, I'm sure you've all read it, uh, but we, we usually read it in chunks. We read one story, and then maybe the next year we read a different story. Uh, but really, the whole of chapter 9 is one story. Uh, it's one message. And that's what we're going to try to unravel here today. So let's start right from the beginning. Luke chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 1 to 6 first. Then he called 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither staffs nor bag nor bread nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. All right? Jesus chooses 12. We know that they're the 12 disciples. We know they become the 12 apostles. Um, he gives them this huge power. Right to take out demons, to cure people. And then he releases them into the towns. He tells them not to take anything. Don't take money, don't take food, don't take an extra pair of clothes. Why? That's the question. It's, it's a very strange thing to do. If, if you were um, a teacher training someone and then you send them off into the field you would think you would want them to be as equipped as possible. Am I right? Right. If you're going to send someone out into the field, have them be equipped, have them you know, not have to worry about what they're going to eat or where they're going to sleep. Have all that taken care of so that they can focus on the mission. Right. When we send missionaries overseas or when we send pastors to do, uh, to do evangelism, right? we give them the hotel, we make sure their food is ready, we make sure everything is... Is, isn't a burden to them. So that when they go off into the field, they can focus on their sermons, they can focus on their message, they can focus on their work to get everything done. Jesus breaks every rule. Jesus sends them out with nothing. No food, no money, so that literally when they get into a town, by the time they get there, they're already hungry. By the time they get there, because they're walking, it's already getting dark. And that's exactly what Jesus wants. What was he trying to preach? What was he trying to teach them in this? A couple of different things. The first one is, if you're going to work for God, the most important thing you need beyond the money and the food and the shelter and everything else that, that comes along. You guys know, when you do evangelism, right, we, we prepare a budget, we make sure the church looks nice, we get some flowers, we, we make sure we get some nice PowerPoints and videos, and we need money for advertising, and, you know, we, it, we focus so much on all these things, right? Jesus does the exact opposite. He sends nothing. Because he's trying to tell us, the most important thing when you're working for me is me, is God. If you don't trust me, it's not going to work. If you don't trust in God, when you're working for God, you're not going to get it done. And so he forces them to do it. He could have just said, trust me. But you can imagine that it wouldn't have that big of an effect. Right? How many times does someone say, trust me? Right? So no, instead he says, you know what? I'm going to teach them, but I'm going to have them live it. I'm going to have them experience what it's like to be completely dependent on only one thing. God. So he sends them out without food, without money, without anything. And if this was just a mere human story, you would 
probably get pages and pages of turmoil and suffering and struggling, but you don't get that. What you get is 12 men that go out there and preach and heal and, and don't go hungry and don't sleep out in the cold. Everything is provided. Everything is taken care of by God. Jesus breaks all the rules to make sure that one rule is kept. If you're going to work for me, you've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. The next few verses, uh, I'm going to skip over it, even though it is part of the story, but it's, it's like a little commercial which is going to be used in, in some verses up ahead. But it's basically Herod kind of getting all anxious. He's like, who is this man? Who is this man? I already killed John the Baptist. Now it looks like he's back. Some people are saying it's John the Baptist. Some people are saying it's Elijah. So we get this little commercial of, of King Herod kind of in a panic attack. Um, but that question of who he is, that's the important part here. Because this is what Jesus is going to use a few verses down. So I'm just going to skip over that just because of time. And... And, and go into the, the mission mistakes now. All right? He sent out 12 men. And in verse 10, they come back. All right? And, uh, and this is the interesting part. When you just read the Bible, you get one message. When you study it, it's a whole other book. It's a whole other message. Most people read verse 10 and they see um, a great success. All right? Let's read it. Verse 10, and the apostles, when they returned, told him of all that they had done. Then he took them and went, went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. So when they come back, is it a positive experience or a negative? It's positive, right? They come back, and you can kind of see it in the wording. They come back, and they're excited, and they're happy. And what were they telling Jesus? Everything that they had done. Jesus' response is kind of strange. If you had sent 12 men out to preach about Jesus, to preach about the coming of God, and they come back and they're happy and they're excited, how would you feel as the teacher? What would you, how would you react? You'd be good, right? And you'd be happy and you'd celebrate with them. But instead of that, Jesus is like, all right, all right, let's just... Let's just go to a quiet place. When you see Jesus do something like that, you know something wrong has happened. If we were to read this in Mark, it really stresses this point. Luke mentions it, but Mark, we're not going to get into it just because it would take too long. But Mark really pushes the idea of, you guys really made a mistake. And what was it? What did they do wrong? Hmm? Yeah, they came back and, and who did everything? They did. Look at all that we've done. People know my name now. I was some no-name fisherman. And now everyone knows who Peter is. Peter, the one that healed this man and took out that demon and, and did all these miracles. Preached this new message. People know who I am. The 12 disciples come back and they're so happy because of everything that they had done. So Jesus takes them away to a quiet place. And as Jesus does, instead of just telling them, he's going to show them their mistake. Let's keep reading. Verses 11 and 12. But when the, multiple, when the multitudes knew it, when they realized, whoa, there's those 12 men doing all those miracles. There's Jesus doing all those miracles. They, they've gone off to Bethsaida. We're going to go after them. When the multitudes knew it, they followed him and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. But when the day began to wear away, the 12 came to him and said, send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and, and, and country and lodge and get provisions for where we are is in a deserted place. Now, is that an accident? Did they just happen to be in a desert? No, who led them there? 
Jesus. This is all part of Jesus' plan. It's all part of his lesson to teach them. I sent you out for one purpose, which was to do what? It really wasn't. That's the weird part. He didn't send them out to preach to others. He sent them out to have them realize what they need. He sent them out to realize that I need God. God is the one that's going to do this work. All right? It was a, it was a, an extra blessing that other people heard about God. That's great. But Jesus specifically sent them out for them. It's amazing. How many times, how many, how many people have ever gone on a mission trip or kind of, how many times have you gone to a mission trip and realized, I think I gained more from this trip than the people I helped? Every time I talk to people, I hear that. I'm the one that received the blessing here. And that's what Jesus was trying to do here. I'm going to send them out so that they can learn that God is everything in this work. But instead of learning that, they come back and what are they talking about? Themselves. They miss out on the complete lesson. And so Jesus creates another mission for them, another lesson. So they're talking about themselves. So he takes them off into the desert. All these people follow behind. Jesus does what he usually does. He preaches, he heals, and he waits for the nighttime to come. And the nighttime comes and the disciples say, send them away. They're hungry. They have no place to sleep. Jesus' response to them, verse 13. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. What's Jesus doing here? What is he doing? Kind of. He's, he's, he's taking their words and throwing it back at them. You guys came back to me today saying about all these great things you've done. You were healing. You were taking out demons. You were helping people. You were doing all these great things. So go ahead, feed them. Continue your work. You said you've done all these things. So now go feed these people. Their response. And they said... We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. Jesus turns the tables on them. You guys thought this was all about you. You were able to take out demons and heal people, but you can't even feed them. Where's all this power that you had? Where's all this great ability that you had? But it's amazing how Jesus isn't vengeful, how he isn't mean when he teaches. He tells them to, to gather them in groups of 50, have them sit down. Then look what he does here in verses 16. Then he took five loaves and the two fish, looking up into heaven. He blessed them and broke them. And then what? Gave them to the disciples to set before the multitudes. What is Jesus doing here? He's trying to reteach that same lesson. You're just part of the process. Yes, you're going to give food to these people, but did you do the miracle? No, did you create this food? No. This is how the structure works. God is the power which works through Jesus, which then comes to us to give to others. But do you think they understood it? No. They still don't understand it. But that's what happens. Jesus breaks these loaves gives them to the disciples. So they all ate and were filled, and 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. One for each disciple, if you really think about it carefully. 
Jesus for a second time trying to teach the exact same lesson. If you want to work for me, I have to be the beginning. I have to be the start. I'm telling you to feed the world the truth. That's what we call it, right? The word of God, the bread of life, the water of life. Where Our job is to give food to people. But our job isn't to make the food. God makes it. God is the start. God is the miracle. God is the power. We're simply the people that receive the bread and then give it out. But he keeps on going because unfortunately the, the disciples are really good at not learning lessons. And he continues on. And this is where the commercial kind of catches up to us with, with Herod's words. Verses 18. He's just done this miracle. All right? And it happened as they were alone praying, as he was alone praying, that his disciples joined him and he asked them saying, who do the crowds say that I am? This is the big question. This is the question Herod was asking. So they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others say that the one of the old prophets has risen up again. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? The first lesson is to know that God is everything. God is the start. You know, um, you could take this church and every activity you guys are going to do, you could take the food, the, 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 um, the community fair or the clothing that you've done, all of those things, what, what, what's the beginning of that? It has to be God. All right? It's not about where are we going to store the clothes or where, where are we going to get there, where are we going to host it. Where are we... All of those things is the least important aspect of the work of this church. God will provide that. The focus, the beginning of any ministry, of any activity, of any evangelism, of anything is God has to be there. God has to be at that event. His power has to be the beginning. The second lesson is an, kind of an obvious one. If we're going to say that God has to be there, the obvious question is, well then, who is God? What exactly are we inviting into this place? And that's what Jesus is asking his disciples Okay, you've said what the, what the world is saying, but who do you think that I am? And Peter's famous answer in verse 20, Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. If we were to read this in Matthew, Matthew breaks this down into a, a complete sermon. It's beautiful. But again, because of time, we don't have time to, to break this down. But, but what we learn in Matthew is that when, when, when Peter says, you are the Christ of God, Peter's actually possessed by the Spirit at this time. The words he says isn't the words of Peter. Peter doesn't even know what he's saying. When he says that you are the Christ of God, he, does have, he has no idea what he's saying. The Holy Spirit is pouring out of him. And Jesus actually says that He says, you haven't said these words, but the Spirit spoke through you. Unfortunately, we can't, we can't stay there, but think about this. Peter has just for the first time admitted, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ of God. For the first time, his disciples seem to understand who he is. And again, just as when the disciples came back and they were all happy, and you would think Jesus would have been happy by this, Jesus takes an exact opposite approach. And he says, he strictly warned them and commanded them to tell this to no one. What is the purpose of a Christian? 
Isn't it to preach the gospel? Isn't it to share Jesus to the world? Isn't it to say, Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus is your Savior? Isn't at the root of everything, isn't that what our purpose is? To, to bring people to God? Well, here is a man who has just done that. You are the Son of God. And yet, instead of saying, tell it to the world, Jesus says, tell no one. Why? Why? Let's keep reading for the answer. Verses 22. Jesus continued by saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Again, for one of the first times, Jesus is saying, You've just said who I am. Tell no one. And then he tells his future. He says, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to die at the hands of the greatest leaders, the ones that should know the truth. Right? The scribes, the Pharisees, the high priests, the priests. But he doesn't finish there. He keeps going. He talks about himself. Now he's going to talk about them. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Realize that he's just taught that lesson twice already. But now he's saying it with words. And take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world? And is himself destroyed or lost? I'm going to stay there just for a second. Because um, this question is for all of us. We wake up every morning. And we have to decide every single morning what our purpose for that day is going to be. For most of us, if we speak frankly, for most of us it's, I'm going to wake up so I can work, so I can pay the bills, so I can make food, so I can have a house, so we can survive. Most of us wake up in the morning to stay alive. Am I right? If you really break it down, that's what we do. And yet Jesus, again, being Jesus, he seems to do everything backwards. He says, if you wake up in the morning and your only purpose is to stay alive, what's going to happen to you? You're going to lose it. Now you're going to die. Completely backwards. If you wake up in the morning with your focus being, I want to live, I want to continue to live, Jesus is telling you, you're going to lose your life. Verses 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... Of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory. And in his fathers and of the whole and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Jesus is actually setting up another lesson now. Remember, we, we've talked about the first lesson, which is God has to come first. Now his lesson is. As a Christian, as someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, do you even understand what you're following? Who you're following? His first step to that lesson is by asking a question, who do you think I am? And he gets the right answer. But when he gets the right answer, what is he told? What does he say? Tell no one. And I'll tell you why. I'll give it away. Because they didn't believe it. Because they had no idea what they were saying. They weren't ready to say, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. They weren't ready. And Jesus didn't want them to go out there and preach something 
they didn't believe. Now this you got to think about hard. I know as Adventists we have a very strong push for evangelism. Right? Our whole purpose is to just preach the gospel, to go out there, share the truth to the world. And yet here we have Jesus saying, if you want to preach my name, but you don't really believe in it, or you don't understand it, don't tell anybody. He starts off with the question, who do you think I am? The second lesson is, I'm going to die. I'm going to die, which we'll explain in a second. The third lesson is, you're not following me to live. Just as I have to die, you have to die. That's the message. That's really what he's saying. If you wake up in the morning wanting to live, you're in the wrong religion. Which, when you say it just like that, is crazy. All right? Which is why you kind of have to keep reading. Trust me, we'll get there. All right? The fourth lesson, which is probably the most showy of all of them. He's told them, or they've told him he's the son of God. Right? Even though he told them not to tell anyone. He told them what his mission was. I am going to die, but then I'm going to resurrect. I'm going to come back. And then he tells them, and you are going to follow in my footsteps. You have to die to live again. And then he physically shows it. Verses 28, we all know the story. Now it came to pass about eight days after saying these things that he took Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were... Moses and Elijah, two of the most important people to a Jew, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So just imagine the scene now. You're on top of a mountain. Three disciples are there. Your closest ones, really. The ones that if, if, if anyone was going to believe in who he was, it was these guys. The three were there. Jesus transforms into glory. For one of the first times, he actually somewhat reveals who he actually is. Now remember, who was the one that says that he was the Son of God? Peter. Peter's there. Peter said that you are the Christ of God. And now he sees Jesus transforming into his glory. If that wasn't enough, Moses and Elijah show up. But what are they talking about? They're talking about his death. They're talking about, just as Jesus did, how he was going to have to die. Ah, and then Peter shows up. Verses 32, but Peter, it starts with a but, so you know it's going bad. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. So remember, they were supposed to be praying, but they were sleeping like they were going to do in, in the future. So at least they're consistent. Uh, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter had to open his mouth. That Peter said to Jesus. And again, when you read this quickly, it sounds good, right? Master, it is good for us to be here. True or not? Yeah, wow, we got to experience Jesus in kind of his, his glory, his true form. Not only that, we got to see Moses, we got to see Elijah. Now look at what he says here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What was Peter actually saying here? Why did they want to build tabernacles? What's the purpose of a tabernacle? It's to worship. So when Peter says, let's build a tabernacle for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, who does Peter want to worship? He wants to worship all three. He's reduced, well, he's doing several blasphemies here. For one thing, he wants to worship two human beings. All right? He wants to worship Moses and Peter. Or Moses and Elijah. 
But the worst part is he reduces Jesus to their level. He's just another tabernacle beside theirs. Peter had just said, you are the son of God. You are the Christ. And here he is breaking every rule in the book. While he was saying this, a cloud came over came and overshadowed them. Jesus doesn't even fix this problem. God does it himself. And they, were, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days anything that they had seen. Completely loses the message again. Let me read this next part quickly here. Now it happened on the next day. When they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met him, suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you, look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Does that make sense? No, because just a few days ago, that was their job. They were casting out demons. They were healing people. And now they can. And now they can. Jesus' answer is is sad. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. And then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. Now, again, if we were to read this in a different gospel, it says uh, when they ask him, how did you do it? What's Jesus' answer? Everyone should know this. Fasting and prayer, which we could get into a whole other sermon there, um, which you just don't have time. We only have like eight minutes now. Um, But he takes out the child. Let's keep going. Verses 43. And they were amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man is is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand the saying, and it was hidden from them so they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. This is several times now. He had told them directly, I'm going to die. Up on the mountain, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus were talking about Jesus dying. Now Jesus is saying, not only was he was going to die, but he was going to be betrayed. If you're betrayed, you're betrayed by your friends. That's why they were afraid to ask. Three times now he says, I'm going to die. If your friend tells you that he's going to die, how do you react? Does anyone here, would you be like, what are you going to do with that no stove you bought? It's funny, right? Here's the sad part. The disciples do worse than that. Jesus three times now has said he is going to die, he's going to be betrayed, he's going to suffer. And look at the argument they have right after that. Verses 46. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. In another the gospel, it actually says, who, who would be number one? Who should be number one? Jesus, why are they asking who's going to be number one? Because he's going to die. That's, what, that's really what they're arguing about here. All right, this, is why, this is why they don't want to speak it out loud. Because what they're actually saying is this. All right, we're all behind Jesus here. We know he's going to be king. When he dies, who's going to take his place? That's the argument they're having. It's not simply who's going to be second or third. No, it's who's going to replace Jesus when he dies. Who gets his radio? That's what they're saying here. Instead of putting God first, instead of realizing who God is, They want to be God. These are our great 12 disciples. 
47, and Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set them, set him by him and said to them, whoever receives this ch little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives who, he who sent me. For he who is least among you will be the greatest. Same message. If you wake up in the morning, you want to live, what's going to happen to you? You're going to die. If you wake up in the morning and you want to be the best, what's going to happen to you? You end up at last. And then it gets worse. Verses 49. Now John answered and said, Master. Remember, this is right after. They're arguing who's going to take his place when he dies. And then Jesus puts a child in front of him and says, you know, you've got to be last to be first. If you try to be first, if you try to be the leader of everything, you're going to end up being last. Now look at John, the other great disciple. Look at his words here. Usually it's Peter, so I'm surprised. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with, <laughs> with us. Does not follow us. Not you. But if he's using the name of Jesus, is he following Jesus? Yes. And that's what we're going to hear Jesus saying. Their focus is this. How dare someone try to do our job? We choose who preaches. We choose who goes out there and does the work. Shall we... Shall we forbade him? Verses 50, But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. They failed over and over and over again, and, um, well, let's keep it consistent. They're going to keep going. Verses 51, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So again, this is Jesus' last days here. He spent three years with his disciples. He lived with them for three years. Did miracles. Did all these things. And look where they are. Look how much they've grown. Nothing. He set his eyes to Jerusalem. And so he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans. Now, do we like Samaritans? Jews hate Samaritans. The disciples are Jews. They hate the Samaritans just as much as the other Jews do. To prepare for him, but they did not receive him. So the Samaritans reject Jesus because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Again, the Samaritans hated the Jews just as much as the Jews hated them. So the fact that Jesus was going... Because the, did the Samaritans like Jesus? They did. Remember, the woman at the well, Right? Everyone heard about Jesus. His name spread among the Samaritans. Here was this man that accepts us. Maybe we're the right ones. But when they hear that he's going to Jerusalem, mm, no, that's not the man we want. So they reject Jesus. And here, uh, John again, and his brother James. And, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, this is great. This, this is one of my favorite verses here. They said, this is two men, this is two men talking to Jesus here. Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven to consume them just as Elijah did? Who are they talking to? To Jesus. These are a bunch of guys that couldn't even feed men, but now they were going to bring fire down from heaven. You know, Jesus, do you want us to take this one? We'll, we like the fire. Well, this, one's, this one we like to do. These men make no sense. Look at Jesus' answer, 55. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. The problem when you don't put God first, 
And the problem when you don't understand God is that you put, your pl- you put yourself in God's place. You become judge. You judge who gets to go to heaven and who doesn't. Who gets to be an enemy? Who gets to be a friend? Who gets to preach and who doesn't get to preach? John was angry that there was a man casting out demons in the name of Jesus. Were the demons coming out? They appeared to be. If Jesus is answering that man's prayer, how can the, how can the disciples forbade him? These men reject Jesus, it's true. But here's an amazing thing. Just because a man rejects Jesus doesn't mean God wants to destroy them. You know, we, we meet people that talk bad about God sometimes. We just listen to the news, listen to TV. There's a lot of blaspheming going around. We know that. What's funny is we get more angry than God does. We get angry at those people. and We, we wish those people would die. We wish those people would you know, get hit by a car. That's us. Jesus still wants to save them. But that happens because we're not putting God first. Because we really don't know who he is. Three more lessons. So just give me three minutes here. One, one lesson per, per thing. Now, thankfully, it kind of goes away from the disciples. These are other men that come to Jesus now. Verses 57 and 58. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Is that a miracle? Is that good? Yes, that's what we want to hear. And Jesus said to him, <laughs> Foxes have holes and birds of the airs have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What kind of an answer is that? Here was this man that just said, I will follow you wherever you want to go. And instead of Jesus being happy, instead of Jesus bringing him in, he's just like, you have no idea what you're saying. You know, even foxes have holes. And... But notice what he's saying here. He, he's specifically saying foxes have holes, birds have nests. These are things that they create. This goes right back to the question of when you wake up in the morning, what's your purpose? Are you a fox? Are you a bird which goes out to make their home, make their life? Because Jesus is saying, that's not my plan. The man wanted to follow Jesus. Why? We know this from other gospels because Jesus makes food appear from nothing. Because if you get sick, you won't be sick. If you die, you'll resurrect. Who wouldn't want to be with a man like that? The problem is he only wanted to be with Jesus for what? For the benefits, for his life. He wanted to be with Jesus for his life. But Jesus says, if you want to live, you're just going to die. Because he wanted this life. The second story. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first bury my father. Is that a reasonable request? You would think, but there's a, there's a message behind it. Because look at Jesus' answer. It's even worse than the last one. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. The reason the man wanted to go bury his dad, why do you think? Show respect. That's the nice answer. Unfortunately, Jesus kind of knows the heart. You bury the dead because you get the inheritance. I'll follow you once I'm financially secure. Let me get my money from my dad when he dies. And then, yeah, I can live with you because I can stay in the hotels and eat good food and travel along. And Jesus is saying, if you wake up in the morning and that's your purpose, you can't follow me. Because my life isn't like that. And the last one, which we read as a scripture reading, another one said to him, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. This one, again, is really important. 
This is one that we break all the time. When God calls you, you go. That's, that's what this one is saying. You know, when God impresses your heart, you don't say, well, times aren't good right now. You know, maybe next week, maybe next year when the kids are out of school, maybe, you know, this is all the excuses now. If God calls you in that moment, it's not just an, an ordinary person telling you to ask, asking you to do something. This is the God of the universe focusing on one person on this planet to do a job. If Trudeau shows up at your door asking you to do something for him, do you listen? And he's just a human being. This is the God of the universe who has asked you to do something, and yet we reject God so easily. God asks us to do something, and we brush it aside like it was nobody asking us. It is not our purpose to choose the time or the hour or to wait till tomorrow. If God calls you, you answer that call. I'm going to stop you here just because of time. In the afternoon, we're actually going to go into chapter 10. Chapter 10, for me, is actually the better chapter, to be honest. Uh, but I wanted to do the chapters in, in the right order. Um, if you guys can be here at 3.30, I think you'll get a blessing. Um, but let's just remember this. God is first. And you have to know who God is. You have to know who's talking to you. The next chapter really emphasizes that, is who is this God and, and what does it mean to be called by God? Let's just pray. God, again, thank you so much for bringing us here, God. Lord, I pray that the lessons you wanted to teach us today, Lord, that we truly accept them. Help us to realize just how little we are and how great you are. Thank you, God, for being so mighty and yet looking so low and actually seeing us and being with us. Be with this church, Lord. Be with the whole congregation, with every ministry it's done, Lord. Thank you for everything. We pray this in your name. Amen.